Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. I'm Coach Kevin Furtado. Today on episode 48 is Coach Greg Tonegal. Greg Tonegal begins his 14th season at the helm of the Indiana Wesleyan University men's basketball team in 2018-19. Tonegal and the Wildcats have won three NEI Division II national championships in a five-year span with titles in 2014, 2016, and 2018. Indiana Wesleyan won the 2014 Red Banner in unprecedented fashion as they became the first team to win all five of their games at the national tournament by double digits. In 2016, Indiana Wesleyan defeated the top two seeds in the tournament to claim the title. IWU beat four top 15 teams in 2018 en route to the title, including the number one IU East and number seven St. Francis in the championship game, the fourth win over the Cougars during the season. Tonegal is a three-time NABC NAI Division II National Coach of the Year. In his 13 13 seasons as a head coach, Tonegal has already led Indiana Wesleyan to three national championships, one Final Four, five Elite Eight finishes, and nine Crossroads League regular season championships, including seven straight from 2009-2015. Tonegal has three Crossroads League tournament championships, as well with wins in 2010, 2015, and 2018. Indiana Wesleyan has finished three seasons as the number one ranked team in NEI Division II. Tonegal's teams have spent time in the NEI Top 5 each of the last 12 seasons. In 13 years as head coach, Tonegal is the winningest coach in program history. He has the highest winning percentage, 786, most wins, 361, most NEI National Tournament victories, 29, most National Tournament appearances, 11, and most crossroads victories, regular season championships in nine. Most crossroads league tournament championships, three. The former Valparaiso, Indiana University point guard, known for his hard work and energy, has brought these characteristics to the basketball program. Tonegal was introduced at Headman's basketball coach on April 1, 2005. Drawing from experience gained from leading the Valparaiso Crusaders to four NCAA tournament appearances as a starting point guard, along with the tutelage of mentor Homer Drew, Tonegal has helped orchestrate a new era of Wildcat basketball. Prior to Tonegal's hiring, the Wildcats had won seven games and finished last in the Mid-Central College Conference. The program improved by 10 wins under Tonegal's tutelage in his first year on the bench and reached the NEI Elite Eight in his second season, making a name for himself when it comes to program building. Tonegal has done it through sound developmental teaching and high-caliber recruiting. Much of the unprecedented success of the Wildcats can be attributed to the culture Tonegal built at IWU. The IWU culture is built around two biblically transforming principles, I am third and fearless. It's our core belief that God has created us for greatness when we realize our potential in becoming third and fearless. What I've come to realize is that I just don't coach basketball, I coach people, comments Tonical. This has helped the influence of IWU basketball to extend far beyond the court. Tonical and his staff have been committed to using basketball as a platform for discipleship. Prior to his current position, Tonegal served as Director of Basketball Operations at Valparaiso University, where he played in four NCAA tournaments. He also led his LaPorte High School team to the last single Class State Finals in 1997. 
Greg and his wife Amy, along with their three children, Jace, William, and Allie, reside in Marion. He is active in a number of organizations and causes, but no notably his church. <clears throat> Here's what Coach Matt Painter, the head coach of Purdue, has said about him. What Coach Tonegal has been able to accomplish in a short amount of time at Indiana Wesleyan is amazing. They have set records for most wins and highest finish in their conference history. This has led to an unbelievable recruiting class for 2006 and many more to come. Watch out for Indiana Wesleyan basketball. Coaches, let's welcome, this is a special treat, Coach Greg Tonegal. Hi, Greg. Hey, Kevin, how are you? Good, how are you? Can you hear me okay? Yes, this comes through Wi-Fi, right? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. Because sometimes in my office, I don't get the greatest signal, so this will be good. <laughs> and, of course, my office is not great either, so th this should be interesting. Um, yeah, sometimes uh, if it happens, uh, what I do is I'll edit it and so forth and come back to it. Uh, yeah. But no, no problem at all. Hey, I appreciate you joining me, man. I've heard so many great things about you. Um, thanks, thanks for coming on to our podcast. Yeah, sorry it's been hard to, to schedule. My wife and I just had twins three weeks ago, so I don't know my left and my right most of the time, but we're getting through it. Man, congratulations. That's great. Thanks. Twins. Wow. So you have – is it a, a girl boy or both girls or both boys? They're, they're identical girls and they're children number five and six. Wow, man, you got a full lineup now. There's a lot going on. I'll just put it to you like that. <laughs> You're blessed. Yeah. You're blessed, I tell you. Yeah. Um, I got to tell you that I've had some great interviews. Um, and, you know, TJ Rosine, Donnie, uh, Donnie Boswick. Love um, Love and Donnie. Donnie, Donnie's awesome, man. He has some great stories about you. I, I want to confirm those stories, though. Uh, to see if it was true or not. But I tell you, that guy, he's doing some super stuff. And, of course, I love TJ. I don't know TJ uh, that well, but I'd, I'd like to get to know him. Absolutely. You guys need to connect because I'm telling you, and, and what I like to do on my podcast is I love to pick the brain of small college coaches, but guys that have unbelievable – sense of what they're doing man they have it they have their own style uh tj's unbelievable man he's it's not just about winning games but how he does it within his culture yeah and man i tell you i've learned so much and i know i'm gonna learn a lot from you donnie's the same way i think the best coaches are at your level you know I, there's something to be said about that because we have to be super creative we've got to think outside the box and people kind of dismiss this level but i'm telling you they're like donnie donnie's a basketball genius and i'll say that and and it's true but he won't probably never get the credit yes and, and i i tell you it's uh he he actually helped me I, I was we were talking of course he was of course given his uh his journey on how you know how he leads his christian life and what he does with his players but we started talking hoops, and uh, he started giving me his framework on how what he thinks is important in his program. I stole a bunch of ideas. I, I, I don't think we can ever stop learning, right, Coach? Absolutely. No, heck no. I hope I know twice as much in two years than I've known in my first 14. That's my goal, at least. <laughs> exactly. Um, when Tell us about your journey. Uh, you 
And I think you mentioned this before. I listened to a podcast. I think you were on with Jamie Beckler, I think it was. And I really loved that podcast. And you kind of went from what a transactional coach to now you're, you're really a transformational type coach. Uh, what led to that? What, what led to that for you as a coach? Yeah, I think for me, I had this epiphany moment um, at some point. I don't know if it was year six, year seven. I begin to realize I don't just coach basketball, but I coach people. And that that may sound simple, but, man, that, that transformed me. Uh, I realized how much I, I had to begin to really speak to the heart and minds of my players and not just their actions. You know, the behaviors that they were exhibiting, good and bad, were always the result of something deeper. And so – it really forced me as a coach to listen to them. It, it forced me as a coach to get the pulse of their heart. And uh, like I said, it, it changed the way I, I began to coach. I went from a coach, I think, who motivated with fear. And I realized that fear is the great, it's the great potential blocker. I mean, it blocks us humans of becoming the best we can be. But even more than that, I think it blocks us from elevating the potential of others. And as a coach, that's our job is to elevate the potential of others. And as I begin to see my guys as more than basketball players, they're actually people. And I begin to take fear out of the game. I begin to see the program take off. And we went to levels that I really never th- knew existed. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that, that concept of being fearless. I love that. As a matter of fact, um, I guess I'm going to steal that from you, but I love that. I love the fearless. I've been really studying that and your website and kind of reading that makes a lot of sense. And Donnie talked a lot about that, about that time where your team was playing. I guess you went to one of his practices and he told me that you thought his team played with absolute no fear. You kind of, is that true? I mean, is that how you kind of, Make that adjustment. Do you want the whole story now or do you want it later? I want to hear it, man. (laughs) So we go to our fourth straight Elite Eight in 2013. And, you know, when you go to your first one, it's fun. When you go to your fourth one, you get frustrated. And uh, so I began to ask questions like, what's next? What am I missing? How do do I get over this hump? And I just randomly pick up the phone and I call two coaches who uh, had coached in a different style, but who had won national championships in the NAI. And I just pick up the phone and I say, Hey, can I come learn from you? Donnie happened to be one of those. And I really took off thinking I was going to get schemes and plays and, you know, basketball stuff. And I did, but really what I walked away with was that Donnie had a, had a way about him to take fear out of the game. And as a result, his players played fearless. And it really set me on a new trajectory as a coach. And it, it set our program on a new trajectory. In fact, the next year we win our first national championship and we just started playing better. I enjoyed coaching more. My players flourished at a greater level. But yeah, it really started with Donnie taking the time and welcoming uh, me in. Yeah, give me a – that uh, I know it's a strength of mine. So I feel like my team is but – Maybe I'm not doing as much. I mean, I'm, I'm always uh, looking for ideas to motivate, my, inspire my team. Give me, give me an example of your team playing uh, fearless. Yeah, that's a great. Or question. what you do in practice. That's a multifaceted question because, as we've learned, <laughs> you know, fearless just isn't. It's not just reckless, and it's just not confidence. Uh, at times, it's courage, but I think it might even be more than that. Um, and so we had to really we had to learn as a, as a, as a group, not just players, but coaches. 
and we begin to, to really shape our players in that way. So ultimately what we would say is unless your fearlessness is directed at others, it, it's too often can be selfishness. So we really balance fearless with what we call I am third. Some people would just say selfless. So really when you, when you think about being right. fearless, it's, it's about making plays for other people. That's the way I would, I would define it on the court because most guys are going to hear this fearless means I go take a lot of shots and I take big shots. But the problem is if all of us are thinking that then we're not going to win a lot of basketball games, but if fearless is elevating the potential of somebody else, sometimes that means I, I make a screen. Sometimes that means, uh, you know, I take a big shot. Sometimes that means I just speak a word of encouragement into somebody in a big moment, in a bold moment. Um, and that's not always easy to do because a lot of us like to sit back maybe in passivity when I think we're called to, to really step into bold things and to fearless things, not just for our benefit, benefit, but for the benefit of others. Yeah. Cause part, um, yeah. And I definitely tell me, tell me like, would that be, you know, maybe setting a hard screen for somebody or maybe just giving somebody a high five to encourage, um, Give me an example of that, like in a game time where maybe maybe somebody helping somebody when, you know, somebody just fouled out. Is that what you're talking about? You're really you're just trying to trying to lift somebody. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of it. I mean, I think there is a there's a freedom involved to it. So I don't think, um, you know, basketball is a sport of freedom. Right. I have to have a clear mind if I'm going to play to to my potential. So sometimes fearless is I just stop thinking. So I think I think you got to get the pulse of your team. Certain guys. If I gave them a too big of a scout, they couldn't play fearless because they were constantly worried about getting it all right. Some kids couldn't play fearless because they always wanted to please their dad. So I had to make sure that they were affirmed regardless of, of the outcome. You know, some guys just, just carried the weight of uh, the expectations of others, you know, mine included. So I had to make sure that that player knew that he was more than a statistical number to me. And so I think it plays out in so many different ways. But my job as a coach is to find out what keeps my players from being fearless and then remove that. And then when you see them on the court and it's and it's working, then you got five guys that are playing at a high level. They're they're executing, they're having fun and they're playing without any fear, which is freedom. And, and it's one of those things a little hard to describe, but when you see it, you know it. Yeah, absolutely. And definitely you can tell a team that's really together and cohesive on it. It's, it's, you, you can definitely see it, but you really can't explain it. Right. You can definitely feel exactly. it. And what we say is, um, and I think this is true throughout history is that greatness favors the fearless. So you look at any great endeavor that's, that's happened in uh, throughout history. And I think what happens is somebody who chose to be very confident or courageous, who stepped out, who maybe took on a little risk, put themselves in position to do something great. And that includes sports. You know, we're coming out of March Madness and everybody's ticked that their bracket was busted. Maybe they didn't <laughs> factor in that, that fearless factor. You know, we look at size, we look at strength, we look at speed. We, we certainly look at records. But what if one of the teams was more fearless than the other? Did that give them advantage? And I, I certainly think so. And when they get out and they play it, you can tell. Yes, and you got to be a fan. Um, I tell you, you, you – uh, Donnie, TJ, you guys all remind me of really like Tony Bennett. I, I love what Tony Bennett does, not because they won the national championship last night, but man, 
I remember the day when he they lost to the 16th seed and how he handled that with such class and so forth. To me, that says a lot about his program, right? I mean, I, I think he's an unbelievable coach, not because he won the championship, but because how he handles adversity. Um, and he's an unbelievable coach. Oh, absolutely. I think he gave us all uh, a great example of how to handle adversity. You know, just because you're a good guy, just because you – you do things right doesn't mean that things are always going to work in your favor. And for him to be that classy of a guy, that good of a coach with that good of a team last year, but to ultimately have that big of a fail and then to blame nobody to stay positive, to still believe in his team. I mean, that's the story of this year's uh, national championship run. And I think for all of us coaches to look at that and say, how can I model that in my own frustration or my own adversity? Because uh, nobody's done it better than him. And to see him win it this year, I think a lot of us are saying job well done. Yeah. And he does it his way though, which, which I absolutely love. Um, <clears throat> of course, everybody says, you know, he can never win a championship because of his pace of play. You know, they play slow it down. It's like, it doesn't matter on the pace, the style. It's about getting the best out of your players. Right. Isn't that right, Greg? I mean, it, does style play make that much of a difference? I think you just need to believe in whatever style you have, and he is all in on that. And if you talk to people that understand how they practice, he doesn't waffle at it. He doesn't, you know, second-guess it. They have an identity, and I think that's probably more than anything. When you look at successful programs, there are a lot of different styles, and a lot of people can get it done with different styles. The question is, how deep is that identity, and how rooted is your program in that? And Virginia, obviously, is very rooted in that style of play. Yeah, because you would think maybe after you lose to a 16th seed, you would say, man, we got to change up. We got to run more. He didn't change a thing. He actually got yeah, better at it. I mean, it. you got to give him credit. And that, that's what we all want to get, I think, where we don't care about the perception of others, right? We say, this is who I am. This is how I'm wired. And this is what I've been called to do. And regardless of the naysayers, I'm going to continue down this path. It doesn't mean we don't, we're not flexible and we don't learn from others, but I think we have to be able to stay the course for the vision that we've been given. Yes, and, and think about the his dad, and I think his uncle is Jack Bennett. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, and I got I got all those guys' videos. <laughs> I, mean, I got the old VH, VHS tapes and so forth. He comes from a lineage of great coaches. And also, you played for Homer Drew. That's a great lineage right there of all the sons coaching – Tell me about your experience, you know, playing for Homer Drew. Yes, I grew up in northwest Indiana, about 25 minutes uh, east of Valparaiso University. So I was very, very familiar at a young age with the Drew family. And, I mean, Bryce was Mr. Basketball in the state of Indiana. Well, that carries with it, obviously, a, a lot. And uh, I always wanted to be like Bryce. And um, he, they used to come speak at our FCA when I was in high school. And so when I finally got that, that Valparaiso offer, it was a no brainer for me. Uh, I could stay close to home. I could play for coach Drew, And I, I, I wanted to play for a man who, who, uh, who was a Christian man. I wanted to play for that. And I wanted to be in, in that program. And so that obviously gave me a lot of opportunities and, and ultimately led me into coaching. I, I didn't go into to, uh, college wanting to coach or thinking I was going to coach, but through some circumstances, I, I was actually, tore my ACL and had uh, four knee surgeries. So I ended up getting two medical red shirts. I began to see the game from a different perspective and began to, to kind of wonder what would it be like to, to get into coaching. And, you know, I don't know how many years later now we're sitting, um, this is my 14th year here at Indiana Wesleyan. So 
17 years later, I'm, I'm in a profession that I love and I can't imagine doing anything different. What are your takeaways from coach drew? I know when, you know, I, I don't, I don't think the average person, the average coach knows anything about Homer drew, but for us junkies, we know what a great coach he was, and he's still having a, probably an impact on a lot of people. What, what kind of coach was he? What did he teach you? Yeah, he, he was a player's coach, and he, he really cared about his players, and I still have a great relationship with him today. So he was just inducted into the, uh, the NABC Hall of Fame, and what an honor that class that he was in. And, and I had a chance to, to connect with him and just once again tell him thanks. I mean, you don't – at the time, you never realize what you have especially in coaching. And then I walk away from it and I'm basically at Indiana Wesleyan because of coach Drew. I mean, he got on the phone, got me an interview because of his name and uh, the rest is history. So developing that relationship with him over those years, not only playing for him, but then I also coached with him for a year as I was the uh, director of operations up there. I mean, I think every year that goes by, I'm more thankful for that opportunity. Yeah. And it's all about relationships, right, Greg? I mean, we, and I know, but it's also about not just trying to move to that next level as coaches. It's about just focusing on that relationship and doing the best you can from where you are, right? So I know a lot of coaches try to move up to the next level, do the best you can right there and try to try to get as try to gain as many great relationships as possible, right? It is. And you know, basketball is one of those professions for whatever reason, there's just the proverbial ladder and everybody has the expectations for you that you got to keep moving up it and somehow you're not happy until you do. And man, I would just beg to differ. Like I think I got the best job in the entire country and I love it where I'm at. I love the opportunity I have. And as, as you said, it's because of those relationships. I mean, the, the places I get to go with my players, the deep relationships, the, the crying in the locker room, the hugging in the locker room, the 6am workouts. And then eventually they end up at your house and you're just talking life. And then five, 10 years, they come back and they're married and they have their first child. I mean, that's, as they say, that's the coaching paycheck. And when you get one of those, there's not too many better feelings. And so, yeah, we're, we're in a profession that is all about the relationships. Is that why I see so many coaches at your level stay around? You're almost like us crazy high school coaches that stay around for a long time at the same school. Is, is that is that the reason? I know you probably have opportunities to maybe even go to the D1 level, but is the D1 level really worth it? <laughs> From what I've seen, it's probably not. The money's probably there, but, man, it's cutthroat, isn't it? Yeah, and I, and I don't want to knock the D1 level. I mean, I played there and I coached there. It, maybe it's for some people, but I just think everybody's going to tell you that that's the ultimate and that's where you need to be, but – you need to find where you fit best and where you flourish. And I've found my niche here at Indiana Wesleyan and uh, in the NEI. I mean, it's, it's great basketball. I mean, the level of player that we get, we have unbelievable facilities. And at the end of the day, it truly is about the kids and it truly is about the relationships. And, and here more specifically at Indiana Wesleyan, it's about the ministry, the opportunity we have to disciple these young men and to take them further in their faith. To me, that's, that's so rewarding. It's hard to put a dollar figure on that. Greg, tell me about a lot of the coaches that listen to this are just like me. They, they're coaches that are just hungry for information. I'm a lifelong learner. Tell, tell, tell me about your practices. I, I think practices are the lifeblood of a program. How do you take your core values 
of fearlessness and put the design for me like your practice system. I mean, what do you really, you have like core drills that you do or what are some of the key things you do in practice? I think the best coaches are great practice coaches. Yeah. I, I think um, practice gives me more probably anxiety and stress than, than anything else. Cause I feel like you got to get practice right. And so I spend a lot of time just thinking about practice daily and trying to organize the, the, the perfect practice. Um, and for us, yeah, somehow you have to embed your, your, your cultural ideals and your language into your practices. And so that, that takes a lot of time. And so for us, a lot of it's language. Um, we have a lot of our drills, uh, for instance, if we want to become fearless, then it's, it's less about what we do and more about who we are, if that makes sense. It's more dispositional. So for instance, um, we have drills that we call fearless catch, fearless pass, fearless create. And so, yeah, the, the drills are teaching certain, certain behaviors, but at the same time, we're more talking about who we're becoming uh, as a team as we do these drills day in and day out. And as we try to reinforce through video, through stories, than the actual acts of, of doing them, if that makes sense. So because sometimes you you get caught up in the, the details of day to day. And so, you know, for instance, we have a game and I have five turnovers. Well, I don't feel like a fearless player. So I've got to be able to take my player and say, okay, over the last year, who have you become? Okay, now over that year, let's take the last six months. You know, where's your trajectory in becoming a fearless player? The decisions you're making or your thoughts that you're having helping you become that type of fearless player that eventually when we get in that big stage in that big moment, you know, you, you can lead us. So a, a lot of teaching our our uh, language will find its way in, into drills. I'm fairly short in practice, to be honest with you. Um, I'd rather get in and get out. I, maybe it's my ADD or, you know, my impatience, but <laughs> – we're not you there yeah no problem at all um sometimes it does that but uh, hey continue on you were talking about and i love this idea matter of fact of all your drills being named you know fearless catch fearless i, I just love that i'm with that yes yeah, so I, I think the idea is this that the more your terminology creates an image in your player's mind the more effective you can communicate Right. So a lot of us are visual learners. Like we can tell somebody who doesn't play basketball, go, go stand at the top of the key, go stand, you know, in the short corner. And they look at us like we're speaking a foreign language. But sometimes I think that happens to our own players as we say, hey, go be fearless. Well, what does that mean to a kid? Does that mean go make a selfish play? Does that mean go act crazy, run around the gym, you know, acting like you got confidence, even though you're scared deep down. So we have to find ways, I think, to create images in our players' minds and, so a lot of times we tell a lot of stories in our program about what does it mean to be fearless. Uh, for us, obviously, the, the, the standard of fearless is biblical. So we're really pulling examples out of the Bible and trying to find where does that meet its way into our players' lives and then ultimately into our drills. So then by the time we're talking about these concepts in our drills, our players have some sort of context, some sort of background to, oh, this is what this means. Because it's more than just what I do. It's far more than behaviors. And that's kind of where you and I were talking a little bit about as I transitioned to understanding that I coach people and not just basketball behaviors became secondary behaviors are always the result of what's going on inside of our hearts and our minds. 
So as I began to be able to instruct my hearts, the hearts and minds of my players better, then they began to understand, okay, this is what I'm called to do. This is who I am. And this, how, this is how I best can express this on the basketball court. Because at the end of the day, it's really about getting your people to, to flourish, right? It's pulling that potential deep uh, within them and getting it on the outside, which is not an easy task. It's not one conversation. It's not transactional. It happens over time. What a great idea. I'm, I'm, I'm going, that makes a lot of sense. I, I just, cause you know, all my drills, you know, I have, you know, the Oklahoma, the Indiana drill, which of course you might like, but it's like, what does that have to do with anything? It's like that, that really teaches the values right there. And then you can kind of expound upon that, expand that and really kind of teach them some of the areas of fearlessness you're talking about Yeah, within that drill. I mean, right. Yeah. And then for example, We'll do that. We'll teach it. And then after a game, we may send out an email to the guys or a text and say, hey, here's the fearless play of the game. And it's often not what you think. You know, it might be like, hey, this kid went in there and, you know, he just got in and just just blew somebody up on a screen because he was trying to make a play for somebody else. And over time, when your players get um, rewarded for doing those things, you're going to get more of that because they want to be affirmed and they want to be rewarded. So, there's, there's, maybe you're seeing there's a lot of layers to this, right? You don't just name a yes. drill after this. You, you address it outside of the court. You talk about it at the court, and then you affirm those behaviors that actually produce the, uh, the intangibles that you're trying to get. Yeah, but, but you're, you are talking. But what, what's interesting is that I think sometimes as coaches, including myself, you know, we got four core values that we try to teach. A lot of times we're not applying that to the things we're actually teaching. I mean, I, I know it sounds kind of simplistic, but I love that. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. That makes a lot of sense. So if I have, you know, a fearless transition drill, because we don't, you know, we get, we're working on this year, we're trying to get back on defense and so forth, or fearless rebounding drill, yeah, that sounds better. Yeah, and, and it, you're, embedding I mean, it, <laughs> you're embedding it into your players' hearts and minds. And if it's in their heart and their mind, they're going to do it at a hot, a lot higher rate than if it's just something that, uh, you know, you've, you've told them one or two times about, they, they actually need to experience it to be able to do it. Right. Now, I, I absolutely love that. Tell me, let's talk a little bit about teaching the game. I, I'm, I'm finding out more and more that I can do all this, the skill development drills I want, and they'll actually learn the, the drill but when you, they can't apply it to the actual game, are you a games approach where, you know, you play a lot of small sided games. That's why I'm becoming more one-on-one to actually teach the skills because I think that's the best way to learn. Yeah. You bring up an interesting point. So I grew up a skill kid. I mean, I was the kid that did every drill in my basement and outside and, and I probably didn't play enough. And then you fast forward now as a coach, I've, it's probably a weakness of mine would be just that the individual skill development. Um, I'd rather spend time on the team concept and then just kind of the mental concept. You know, what, what we say all the time, and I believe this, even like doing a scouting report that men- mentality trumps scheme. So you can drop the perfect scheme, but if your players don't um, approach it aggressively or say fearlessly, it doesn't matter what you drew up but you could, you could bomb the scheme. Like they could not execute it, but if they're super aggressive and fearless, 
I believe that gets you a better result in the end. So I think just as a coach, uh, I'm, and I'm learning to balance it. Yes, I believe in skill development, but I think my bread and butter or where I'm going to spend more of my time is on the mentality. If my players' minds are and hearts are right, they're going to make up for, for errors or for scheme and all those things. Yeah, and, and you look at that championship game yesterday. I mean, did Texas Tech play hard and, and Virginia play hard? Absolutely. That was one of the best played games I've seen in years because – I love, you know, Duke and Kentucky and those type of teams. But, man, those teams don't play as hard as Texas Tech and Virginia. Am I wrong? Well, no, I agree. And you know what? It was upperclassmen on the floor. I mean, that Final Four was laced with upperclassmen. There wasn't a lot of freshmen because I don't care how talented you are. you got to learn how to play hard. I mean, and the more talented you are, the probably the more you've gotten away at times with taking plays off. And you get to that level – and you see those teams that have those upperclassmen, they've been through it and they understand what it takes and they're fully bought in. And to me, that was one of the most enjoyable parts of that final four. Yeah, it's just, a, it's just good to see. I mean, I, I'm tired of the, the one and dones to be on. I think, Hey, let these guys go to the pros. I could be wrong here, Greg. I apologize for my opinion <laughs> here, but let these guys go, let them go to the G league. And man, I'll take the Virginias and the Texas tech type teams Indiana Westlands, where your kids stay all four years. I just, I think that's a great selling point for college basketball. Well, I love coaching, you know, four-year guys because the more time I get with them, uh, the more impact I believe I can make. So I enjoy it from a coaching perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, tell me about your basketball system. So obviously, your teams play fearless. So tell me about are are you a pace guy? You want to get a lot of possessions. What's your style there at Indiana Westland? Yeah, so we, we try to balance the fearless with what we call I am third, um, which is a very selfless brand of basketball. And I think if if you're selfless and you're fearless, then, then it's, a, it's a combination, I think, for explosive basketball. And we've transitioned a little more to the offensive end. I mean, we're going to be a team that probably spends a little more time on the offensive end. And we're going to try to give our guys a lot of freedom on that end. And, and the way to get freedom, though, is to, is to get space. And so – we really value guys that can shoot and pass the basketball because you can create space uh, doing it that way. And we're typically a four-out-one-in team, but we're flexible to the the type of personnel that we have. And, um, you know, I think if, if you watch us play, you're not going to say, hey, they run this offense. They run the, the continuity ball screen or the flex. What, what you hopefully say is, man, those guys are fearless and selfless. Like, it doesn't matter what play called was they were playing, you know, in those two ways. And so once again, mentality trumps scheme with what we do. And we're going to spend a lot of time putting those mentalities into our offensive system. Yes. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I run, I, last year, Greg, I started with, um, you know, kind of a ball screen type offense. And I found out that high school kids cannot set good ball screens. <laughs> and not only that girl, I coach girls, Girls don't know how to use ball screen. I mean, it takes forever. And a lot of the kids just don't have that knack. I think we overuse ball screens. But I then went out and uh, I, I run the five out now. Okay. Where I spread all five players out. We, we cut hard. And that's the main essence of our offense is pass cut. It's that simple. It's the first layer of the read and react. And um, that's what we do. We, just, we, we, we pass, we catch, we cut hard. It's unbelievable how many good shots we get. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I love hearing that. 
Um, but <clears throat> tell me about now your defensive system. I'm assuming you guys, let me just guess, you guys play a good, hard Pac-Man, or are you guys out there pressuring, trying to create turnovers? We, we'd like to consider ourselves Pac. Now, having watched Virginia win the national championship, they'd probably be disgusted watching us play defense. But, <laughs> you know, Pac's one of those things, it's like motion. Everybody goes, well, we're a motion team. Well, what does that mean anymore? You know, like the true Pac teams, the Virginias, those guys are, they're very specific. Now, we've taken some of their – those principles we've modified it a little bit um and we're trying to get better at it but i think you would say yeah we're a pack team i'm actually getting tell me what you think about this i'm actually getting where maybe it's just my level i play at where we're not up the line i am snug in denial mm. i just think that players don't move without the ball particularly girls so i'm kind of actually gone back to a hard denial. The, and I don't think a lot of people are teaching that. They used to back in the old days. But what's your opinion on that? Do you play off the line? I, I, we get right up on those girls, and we just we take away passing lanes. Yeah, I think we'd be the opposite. We're, we're going to let you move it side to side. I just think that everything in the game has gone to drive and kick. Kids, if they get in the lane, they know how to play. If you keep them out of the lane, they don't know how to play. They, I don't see a lot of people that know how to screen. I don't see a ton of people that know how to cut. It's all – Four guys are going to stand while one's going to pound the rock. So we feel like if we can take away that pound and that penetration, we've taken away just a huge chunk of their offense. I guess particularly at the college level, you're going to – I mean, I, I think that's kind of the predominant – I mean, guys, the guys just want to take it to the rack. And I'm, I'm assuming you have, to, you have to coach against that, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I to me, I think penetration is just the deadliest thing against your defense. And – we would probably spend more time guarding, and that ball that includes ball screen because that's kind of the the safety blanket for everybody is to go to ball screen. But we spend a lot of time right. just keep trying to keep the ball out of the paint, and that's what Virginia did did better than anybody. I mean, each one of those five guys can guard the ball individually. I mean, not only do they guard it well individually, then they guard it well collectively. You know, I feel like a lot of times we're compromising one. We may guard it good collectively, but we can't guard it individually or vice versa, Bennett has done an incredible job of getting his team to do both of those things. Is it just a fearless commitment? Because I don't think Virginia's that quick. So what, what are they doing differently? Is it that it is, is it these guys are just constantly in? I see guys that are constantly in their stances. But how many times do you see that, Greg, guys in stances except for last night? Yeah, it's it, – it's, I mean, that, <laughs> it's buy-in. I mean, it's, it's culture. I mean, it's not scheme because there's everybody's is apparently doing that, but nobody's doing it at that level. Right. I mean, we're all, we all have right. videos. We, we all are talking about pack line defense, but at the end of the day, our pack lines don't measure up to that. And then they've chosen to hang their hat on that. And they've chosen that to be one of their identities and nobody does it better than them. Yeah. And it goes back. He knows, what type of players to recruit because his little point guard, how many teams, uh, I think it's Clark, right? Is it the point guard yeah. he has? How much, how many teams would recruit him? I don't think that many, but look at what he's doing for the national champion. It's not amazing. That point guard would not play for a lot of teams. I agree. And he's a freshman too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that to me is just great. You know, at, kind of understanding what type of player he looks for. 
what type of player do you look for? Do you look for guys that are just hard workers, ha- you know, have the right mindset? What do you look for? Of course, talent makes a big difference. But Yeah, I think um, you want guys who I think, Obviously, hard work, and, and everybody might say those things, but c- can you really figure out at the end of the day, how does this guy add value to other people? Um, we, we all can do things, I think, that benefit ourselves, and we're, we're, we're bent that way, but when we get around other people, how do we elevate the uh, potential of other people? So for some guys, that's just energy givers. You know, For some guys, maybe it's on the court, they're just great passers or great offensive rebounders, but you got to be able to add value to other people and not just yourself. And that's a tricky thing in the evaluation process, but I would say something we spend a lot of time trying to evaluate. Yeah. And I, and I guarantee that. I mean, that, to me, I'm always jealous of you guys because I think that'd be so fun trying to recruit kids like that. Um, and that maybe that's why you love that level. I think just trying to find those intangibles, right? Yeah. It's, it's fun, but it's a, it's a full-time job in itself. Um, but when it comes, when it comes yeah. together and you're able to piece together your own team, yeah, that's, that's a huge benefit of being a college coach. And, and I'm sure you have a certain criteria you look for, right? Or is it the eye test? No, I mean, we, I think one of the things we would say, and it's kind of hard, but we try to quantify the, uh, the unquantifiable, meaning a lot of people can go in and say, what does this kid average in terms of points, rebounds, and assists? Well, you can quantify that, but how do you quantify toughness? You know, what's your scale for fearlessness? If you can figure out a way to put a number to those or a value to those, then you can at least weed out a lot of, you know, people you don't want in the process. Somebody told me a long time ago, it's not who you hire. If you own a company, it's who you fire. One well, recruiting, sometimes it's not who you sign, it's who you don't sign. So we're, we're hopefully getting to a point where we can look at a kid and put some value on his toughness level his unselfishness, some of those things that, uh, you know, you don't find on a stat sheet. Right. Coach, thank you so much. I know you got to go. I know you're a busy guy. I, I sure appreciate you coming to spend some time with me, man. I, and uh, I'm going to steal some of your concepts, man, if you don't mind. If you don't mind, I love – I really want to find out more about your practices because I love that idea. Yeah. Um, as far, yeah, I absolutely love that. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to utilize that. How can – uh, our listeners get a hold of you and um, are there any books or anything that you have coming out that, that somebody can kind of read about what you're doing? Um, yeah. Well, first off, you know, I've, I've stolen most of my stuff from somebody else. So take it and do whatever you want with it. Um, that's kind of what we do in the basketball profession. Um, but yeah. Um, as far as books, we're, we're in the process of, of putting together kind of material based upon our culture. If you go to IWUhoops.net there's a whole section on fearless and I am third and, and just being able to, to help coaches embed these principles into their, into their own, uh, into their own programs. Um, we, we're big on discipleship and uh, we're, we're trying to help that be accessible to other coaches. And we're connecting with a lot of coaches all, even all over the country. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun discussion. So I'd, I'd love to hear feedback from other people on how they're doing it and how we can, we can better do what we're trying to do here. So IWHoops.net would be a good place to start. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time out to spend with me. I sure appreciate it. And I know a lot of the coaches listening are going to really learn a lot. Coach, thank you so much. And I wish you the best. Thank you. Thanks, man. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you.
Coaches, how are you? Hey, make sure to check out my friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. They were a main sponsor of my Legends Clinic last year, and I got to see in person why the Dr. Dish is undoubtedly the best shooting machine on the market. I'm super excited to get one in my program here soon. As a matter of fact, it's already in the process of being ordered. The technology and versatility of the machine are unmatched. Make sure to check out their product lineup and their new Dr. Dish CT machine on their website at drdishbasketball.com and follow them on Twitter and Instagram at drdishbball. Mention this podcast and you can save $300 extra on your next Dr. Dick, Dr. Dish purchase. Get one soon. This is Coach Kevin Furtado of the Championship Vision Podcast. Hey coaches, this is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in. Hey everyone, this is John Beck with Pure Sweat Basketball, and you are now listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado.